Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. What's up, Lake Point family? Great to see you guys uh, this morning. So welcome all of our campuses. Would you help me welcome all of our campuses today? So glad you guys are with us. And uh, I I got to hang with uh, campus pastors last night. And uh, man, I'm just so grateful for all the men and women who lead and serve all over our campuses, all over Texas and beyond. And our online campus as well. Help us welcome, uh, welcome those guys today as well, wherever you're watching. So cool last night, I got to meet a couple who flew here from Chicago. They were part of our online campus. They flew here from Chicago last night to be baptized. It was so cool to get to meet them uh, today. So welcome our online campus as well. Uh, yeah, my name is uh, Mike, and I get, to, I get to be on the teaching team here. Really grateful for, for that. Um, we're in a series, we're walking through uh, Romans chapter 8 of the Bible. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. It's in the New Testament section. If you, like, go open the Bible to the half and then keep going right, you'll find it. Uh, and if you've got a Bible app you use, or maybe you can just follow along on the screen today, we'll have it all up there so we can all uh, track together. And I was thinking the other day of my very first trip uh, to Colorado. I was supposed to speak at a conference uh, at a university in Gunnison, Colorado, which was on the other side of the Rockies, and I flew into Denver, and I'd never, I'd never really been out west hardly at all. I was a Kentucky guy, and I rented a car, and uh, I asked for directions at the counter because back then you didn't have GPS. They, they gave me, have you ever seen a map? They gave me a map, and they highlighted where I was supposed to go, and the guy told me, you're going to go through the prairie for a little while, and then you're going to hit the foothills, and then you're going to go through the Rockies, and then you'll be in Gunnison. Well, the Denver airport is on the uh, far east side uh, of Denver. So I get in the car, and I'm driving through like the flattest land ever. I'm thinking that scene from Dumb and Dumber when Lloyd goes the wrong way and Harry wakes up and says, I thought the Rockies would be a little rockier than this. That John Denver, well, I'm not going to say the rest of the line, but if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. But that's, that's, what, I, that's what I was thinking. And then I hit the foothills, and my mouth dropped open. I thought, this is amazing. I've never been in the mountains before. This is so beautiful. I mean, I really thought I was in the mountains. And then I'll never, ever forget it. I was coming around a curve, and right there in the middle of the road were the majestic Rocky Mountains. And I just went, oh my goodness. I mean, I, I, was, I was speechless. I literally pulled the car over to the side of the road got out and sat on the hood and just started singing worship songs. I was just awestruck. I, I got a group of guys who are mostly new to the Bible. Uh, they meet on my back patio on Monday mornings, and I can't wait to see them tomorrow. And uh, this winter, we went through the book of Romans. 
and we were getting ready to dive into Romans chapter 8 uh, like we are doing in this series. But before we did, I said, hey, guys, why don't we, why don't we go back and kind of revisit where we've been through the book of Romans? If you ever read the book of Romans, it's kind of like my experience in Denver. Chapter 1 is like driving through the prairie, man. It's like driving through the desert. In chapter 1 is all about how mankind told God to take a hike and begin to worship everything under the sun but God. So God said, okay, have at it. And we hurt each other, and we screwed everything up. That's chapter 1. Chapter 2, the religious people say, when they read the letter, hey, yeah, but not us. And Paul says, yeah, yeah, you guys too. And then we get to chapter 3, and it says, you know what? For everybody is sent. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And, and, and then it starts to kind of take a trip through the foothills by saying, yet God in his grace has made a way for us to be right through Jesus Christ who has freed us from the penalty of sin. And from there on, chapter 3, the drive gets better. In chapter 4 and chapter 5, he talks about walking by faith and how that's a lifestyle that has always honored God. Chapter 6 talks about amazing grace and baptism like we just saw and brand new life in Christ. Chapter 7, he gets real vulnerable and talks about his own struggle with the sin nature ego that Josh talked about a couple of weeks ago. All of us can relate to that. And then, then Paul takes us around a curve, and there it is. Oh, Romans 8. Some call it the Mount Everest of the Bible. And it begins with, therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And when my guys and I got there in chapter 8, we just got like choked up. And one of the guys who had been sober for like three years now, he just started wiping tears. He goes, oh man, what God has done for me is just incredible. And it is. Not only has God forgiven us. Not only has God rescued us, not only has God freed us, we learned last week that he actually takes up residence in us. We, we saw this amazing verse last week from Romans chapter 8 verse 11. It said, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives where? In you. You know, as Greg was teaching last weekend, I couldn't help but think about those, those old Gatorade commercials where they would show these athletes, these famous athletes are sculpted, glistening with sweat, and they're sweating different flavors of Gatorade, right, right? And, and then the question would pop up. It would go, is it in you? And every time I would watch those commercials as a broken down old sports guy, I'm thinking, yes, yes, it is in me. Yes, it is, it is in me. It, it ain't in me, I'm just telling you right now. But here's the cool thing, you know what? He is. See, he's not just for us. He's not just beside us. He's not just with us. He is in us. And that truth has been an absolute game changer for my life. He lives in every believer. The Holy Spirit moves in and he begins to comfort and encourage and remind and convict and guide and prompt us along the way. He moves in and produces fruit like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. He is the catalyst behind all the inside-out transformation. He gives us the power to let go of resentment and forgive other people. He gives us the power to leave our shame and pass behind. He gives us the power to walk sober for another day. He gives us the power to be a great mom, a great dad, a great friend, a great neighbor. He moves in and he gives us the power to become God's best version of us. And not only does he do all that, 
one of the coolest things we're going to see today is that he reminds us of our true identity. Check out verse 15 where we left off last week. It says, you, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, which, which was an affectionate, intimate term, Daddy or Papa. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. You know, identity theft is on the rise in our tech-driven world. People are hacking passwords and stealing account numbers and personal information. But I, I think identity theft has been going on a long, long time. In fact, it has been a tactic of the enemy of our soul forever. You see, the world tries to define us with what I would call three big lies. I am what I have. I am what I do, and I am what people say about me. Those three big lies are how the world tries to define us. I am what I, what I have, I am what I do, and I am what people say about me. And the Holy Spirit comes along and says, oh, no, no, no. Your true identity has nothing to do with any of that stuff. Your identity is a treasured child of the Most High God. That's who you are. In fact, he says, you can call the creator of the universe your father, talking about the maker of constellations, photosynthesis, the creator of DNA. I'm talking about the inexhaustible, self-sustaining one, the great I am, the one who was, who is, who is to come. He says, you can call him Abba. You can call him Daddy. You can call him Papa. And Paul goes on to say, not only that, verse 17, and since we are his children, we are his what? His heirs. Debbie and I just got our will done. And newsflash, our kids ain't getting a whole lot. Uh, we don't have a whole lot. We're trying to help them now. I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said, may the last check bounce. And I thought, their kids ain't getting nothing, right? But gang, check this out. Our dad, our dad, man, he is loaded. He owns the whole world. And as his kids, as his heirs, we get it all. And it's not so much about getting a bunch of stuff. I mean, we've already discovered, right, that temporary stuff is way overrated anyway. We get all the really good stuff. We get all the goodness. We get all the truth. We get all the wisdom. We get all the light. We get all the love. We get all the joy. We get all the peace that emanates from him. It's what Paul means when he says, in fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. He's just telling us, listen, as God's kids, you are sitting on an absolute gold mine of eternal goodness. That's the truth of who you are. And then he offers kind of a reality check. It kind of comes the last part of verse 17 with a however. He says, however, but if we are to share in his glory, which we're going to do, we must also share his suffering. And the guy writing this, this guy named Paul, he knew firsthand I mean, this dude was beaten, excommunicated, rejected, stoned, flogged, run out of town after town, shipwrecked, persecuted, unjustly imprisoned for his faith in Jesus Christ. He's the guy that wrote these words in Philippians chapter 3 when he said, I just want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And Paul did both. It was a tough life for the guy that wrote this letter to the Romans, Paul. It was a rough life for Jesus. I mean, think about it. Jesus experienced the same temptations, the same diseases, the same injustices, the same broken systems, the same evil that we do. 
Plus, on top of all of that, he chose. He chose to suffer. He chose to go to a cross as a completely innocent man to take on the sins of the world so that you and I could live forever. I mean, life was anything but easy for Jesus. And Paul's saying it's going to be anything but easy for us. That's just the reality of life in this fallen world. That's just the reality of life on this cursed earth. But check out verse 18. This is so good. He goes, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he'll reveal to us later. Even though this life can be tough, he's saying there is no comparison to what will be. So set your focus there. Hold on to that promise. You know, I I love what Paul, again, a a guy who knew anything but a cushy life, what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read it from the message. He says, so we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart on us, on the inside where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. He says, these, these hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration prepared for us. Oh, there's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see now will last forever. So hold on. There's no comparison. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he'll reveal to us later. Verse 19, for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his, who his children really are. Through Jesus, someday soon, Paul's saying, we'll all be home with our papa. And did you catch that it's not just us, but all creation that's waiting? I'm talking stars, the sun, the galaxies, the oceans, the mountains, the rivers, the trees, the flowers, the grass, the giraffes, the elephants, the golden doodles. All of creation is waiting. All of creation is longing for that day. And here's the reason, verse 20. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Now, you can read all about that in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, how the choices that we made, not just Adam and Eve, but all of us, The choice we made to want to be our own God totally screwed this world up. And as a result, we all live in a toxic world made that way by mankind in a free-fall rebellion against God. Can I I just sit there just just for a minute or two? Because we always try to reconcile a good God with a messed up world. People often ask, why do bad things happen to good people? You ever ask that? Man, I, I totally have. Well, here's just a radical thought. Maybe, just maybe, talking about mankind, maybe we're not as quote-unquote good as we think we are. Years ago, the London Times asked various writers for an essay on the topic, what's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton wrote, perhaps, the shortest essay in history. He responded this way, dear sirs, I am sincerely yours. G.K. Chesterton, when I look in the mirror and I know all the hurtful things I've done, all the hurtful things I've said and thought, all the gossip I've perpetuated, the lies that I've told, the people that I've wounded along the way, the ugliness of my pride and my self-centeredness, my own personal quest to want to be God, what should shock me is not that bad things happen in this world but that God would want anything to do with a quote-unquote good person like me at all. Randy Alcorn writes in his excellent book, If God is Good, he says, the cross is a mirror. 
showing us the heart-stopping magnitude of our depravity. The cross is a lens zooming in on not only God's uncompromising holiness and justice that demands such a price for sin, but also magnifying the vastness of his love and grace that he would be willing to pay such a horrific price. And you know, truthfully, some, certainly not all, but some of what this so-called good person gets in life is a result of my not-so-good choices and behavior. I mean, if we're going to blame God for anything, we should blame him for giving us a free choice. See, God is creative, he's imaginative, he's intelligent, he's free to choose, and we are made in his image. We think because he thinks. We love because he loves. We speak because he speaks. We choose because he chooses. When Adam and Eve were in the paradise of Eden, God told them, you are free to eat from any tree except for that one. Sometimes we lose the fact that God said, you're free. Adam and Eve could have done the right thing. They were free to choose, and they chose to sin. So C.S. Lewis writes, he says, so why did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, it's also the only thing that makes possible any love or joy or goodness worth having. You see, God allowing us free choice demonstrates his deep desire for an authentic love relationship with you and me because love is not really love without the ability to choose, right? Can, can you imagine if my wife Debbie came with a string on her side and I could just pull it and it would say, I love you. I'd pull it, you want a massage? I'd pull it, oh baby, oh baby, let's do that every night. Every, just, just all came programmed in. Man, there's no love in that. Love requires a choice. It's not really love without it. Love can't be forced. The fact that she chooses to love me, and that's amazing in and of itself, that's what makes our relationship what it is. And our God, who chooses to love us all, created us with a free choice so that we could choose to love him back. See, here's the deal. God gave me a hand. I can choose to use this hand to pick up a gun and shoot somebody. Or I can choose to use this hand to feed hungry people. It's my choice. God gave me a mind. I can cloud my mind with pot, get behind the wheel of a car and take the life of an innocent person. Or I can expand my mind and find a cure for cancer. God doesn't force me down either path. Now through his word and his spirit, he tries to prompt me down the right one. He tries to lead me toward real life. But I still have a free choice. And gang, evil and suffering in this world is one of the consequences of the freedom that God has given us. Pain is part of the free will package. Now, there's not always a direct correlation between what we choose to do and what's happening to us. Sometimes we all, even the most innocent of us, get caught in the fallout of living on this cursed earth together. We are in this toxic, unfair world thing together. Let me, let me try to illustrate it this way. Let's just say we all had a bucket of toxic waste, our own personal toxic waste. And we uh, went around the lake in, in Rockwall and we surrounded the lake and we poured our toxic waste right in front of us. We all poured it in there together. And all of a sudden I get thirsty. Now I know I'm not gonna get a drink out of the water right here because I know what I just dumped in, Right? So I walk all the way around to the other side of the lake and I get a drink of water over there. But I still get sick. Why? Because the toxic waste has infected the entire lake. I mean, you can't take a drink anywhere without experiencing some of the fallout. And honestly, 
in this life, sometimes I get dinged by your junk. And sometimes you get sick because of mine. What we have collectively poured in comes back around to all of us. Together, we have made this a toxic and unfair world. When we human beings collectively told God to shove off, when we chose to do it our way, he partially honored our request. The earth was cursed. Nature began to revolt. Genetic breakdown and disease began. Pain and death became part of the human experience. The good creation was marred. And that's why Paul says in verse 21, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. All creation wants to reach its full and intended potential. You know, I love life and I love the beauty of nature. I love to be outside. I'm captivated by nature. But right now, nothing is working as it really should. I mean, think about that. As beautiful and stunning as that sunset was that you took in the other night, it's nothing compared to what it ought to be. It ought to be so much more than that. It's hindered right now. I had an incredible steak dinner last night, and as great as that steak dinner was, I kept thinking how good it could have been because the cow it came from was cursed, and the grass it ate was cursed, and it came from ground that was cursed. That's just the way my mind works. Do you know how good that steak could have been? Everything, all creation, including us, has been affected, and all creation longs to be made right and be free. Verse 22, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. In other words, creation's in labor right now. That's earthquakes, hurricanes, tsunamis, tornadoes, floods. All creation is going through contractions. And it seems like those contractions are getting closer together. I like the way Kate Bowler puts it in her book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. She says, we live in a terrible, beautiful mystery of a world not yet redeemed. Now, it will be. It will be. But right now, all creation is groaning. Verse 23, and we believers also groan. We groan, don't we? We groan over headlines and mass shootings and racism and sex trafficking and suffering and justice, all kinds of evil. We groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, which is a really, really good thing to have in us as we groan, we still long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too, like everything else in all creation, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. And man, I want one of those new bodies, don't you? And it's all coming. You know, there's a lot of things in life to get overrated. You know, teams get overrated, restaurants get overrated, vacation destinations get overrated, movies get overrated, cars get overrated. I mean, there's a lot of things in life that get overrated. Hope's not one of them. Hope's not one of them. Paul kind of concludes this section in verse 24 by saying, we were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the hope he's talking about here is not a I hope so hope. It's a concrete reality of what's coming based on the unbreakable promises of God. 
Hey, next, next week, we're gonna unpack one of the most quoted passages of the entire Bible, and I'm praying it will flood your soul with hope. I can't wait to do it. You don't wanna miss it. But today, I just wanna leave you with one word that just might help us all kind of digest the passage we just read. And the, the word for this week for you is focus. Focus. Because here's the truth. What you choose to focus on has your attention. And what has your attention has you. What you choose to focus on has your attention. And what has your attention has you. Let, let, let me put it this way. Any, anybody a golfer? Any, any golfers here? If you stand up on a tee box and you go, man, there's water on the right. There's water on the right. There's water on the right. There's water on, where are you going to hit that ball? You're going to hit in the water on the right. Any, any motorcycle riders here? Then I've, I've, I've heard that when you take your motor, motorcycle test, you have to do like this through the cones type of, uh, of test. And the key is not to focus on the cones. You focus on the space between the cones because what has your focus has your attention and what has your attention has you. So the word for this week is focus. Catherine Wolf wrote a book called Suffer Strong, amazing woman, had a stroke, a very debilitating stroke in her 20s. And I love her quote so much when she said, you can survive anything by redefining everything. You can survive anything by redefining everything. What she's saying, you just gotta change your focus. You redefine success, redefine beauty, redefine strength, redefine courage, redefine what the good life is, redefine where your real home is. I think that's what Paul was getting at when he writes over in Colossians chapter three. He says, since it's true that you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, set your focus on things above, not earthly things. When you set your mind on yourself, when all of your focus is on your circumstances, when it's on earthly things, on worldly stuff, when you live like this life is all there is, the inevitable result is worry and anxiety and guilt and envy and greed and ingratitude and selfishness and pride and lust and anger, insecurity, fear and hopelessness. But when you set your mind, when you change your focus, when you redefine your life, no matter how tough this life gets for you right now, all that other stuff gets replaced by hope and confidence and humility and gratitude and love and laughter and security and this unexplainable peace. Isaiah 26, three has been a big verse in my life. It says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. It all comes down to your focus because what you focus on has your attention, and what has your attention, it has you. I was at the beach one day, had a lot on my mind. I was stressed out about a bunch of stuff. I had some stuff I was trying to figure out. And I started watching pelicans. You ever done this, watch these pelicans dive bomb into the ocean? And I started to wonder, I wonder what their success rate is. So I did some intense research. I Googled it. Uh, <laughs> There, there are people who actually study this stuff and I found out that they are successful, catch this, about 70% of the time. When, when you see a pelican come up out of the water and they throw their head back and kind of shake their head, you know they, they caught a fish. And the fascinating thing to me was that the higher they climbed and then dove, the success rate went up to almost 90%. And I'm sitting there with the Holy Spirit who's in me 
And I felt like he whispered to me, bro, you need to climb higher. You need to back away from the situation, get closer to me, and reset your focus. And I don't know, maybe that's a word for you. Maybe you're so close to the situation. Maybe the circumstances are keeping your focus right there. And maybe, maybe you just need to climb higher and say, Father, help me focus on your presence in me today, all day long. May my thoughts be fixed on you. My wife, Debbie, went through 36 hours of labor. Let me say that again, 36 hours of labor to bring our first child, Jody, into the world. And I remember we, we did this thing called Lamaze classes. I don't think they do it anymore, but back then we did these classes. Anybody remember Lamaze classes? Uh, you took your pillow and they taught you all these breathing techniques. Well, there in the labor delivery, we used up every breathing technique we had learned in the first 12 hours. I was exhausted. I'm just, just, just kidding, just kidding. We had 24 more hours to go, and I don't remember a whole lot about the details of those moments. But I do remember that we had a picture of, uh, we just called it Smiling Jesus, sitting on the dresser there in the labor delivery room, and used that picture as Debbie's uh, focal point. And I remember just holding her hand, standing by the bed. Come on, Deb, it's going to get better. Just focus and breathe. Just focus and breathe. Just focus and breathe. You know the headlines we scroll through and experience because we live in a fallen, broken world, made that way by mankind's collective rebellion, and tragically, sometimes the most innocent even get caught in the fallout of the curse. I mean, all creation really is going through contractions, groaning to be made right. I mean, Jesus himself told us there's going to be a tough times. Gonna be tragic times, economic downturns and tornadoes and tsunamis and hurricanes and earthquakes and pandemics and wars, even persecution. But don't panic. Keep your eyes on me. Just focus and breathe. Focus and breathe. Focus and breathe. Listen, gang, we're just a few pushes away from delivery, from the crowning of a new creation. A whole new world is on the way. And until that day, let's just keep our eyes on Jesus. And let's lean into God as our Papa. Let's live in the awareness of his presence, not just with us, but in us. And one day, we're going to come around a curve. And there he will be. In all of his glory and all of his majesty. And our mouth is going to fall open. And we're going to be in awe and we'll be home. Let's pray together. Father, so grateful for the truth of all that. Um, so grateful for the way chapter eight starts with, in light of all you've done, in light of your grace, your mercy, the cross, in light of all that, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, thank you for taking away our past our sin, our free fall rebellion, our attempts to be God, for taking that all on your shoulders, assuming all of our guilt because you love us. And your desire is to live with us forever the way you intended in the very beginning. 
Even though it's a double-edged sword, God, thanks for giving us free will because we wouldn't know love without it. Thanks for choosing to love us. We want to choose to love you back. Thanks for giving us the ability to choose to love each other. Pray we do that well this week. And uh, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would stamp that word in our heart and our mind this week, that word focus. That we wouldn't get so caught up in the headlines and how bad this place is, but we would just shift our focus to things above. Knowing that what we just read is the truth, that we are your kids and there's a better world coming. And until that day, we're just gonna try to make a difference and be a light in this world. Father, thanks for life. Thanks for giving us purpose. And I pray we will live that purpose out this week. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.